Tappers, what's up? It is the Thursday edition of the Daily Tap for February 4th. We are almost to Friday. It is going to get cold here in Wisconsin. Got a good show today. Uh, We are talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo and the reinvention of the postgame. The Milwaukee Bucks are on an absolute heater after the two losses. We'll talk all about that. We will also talk about the Brewers making moves, getting Colton Wong, shutting us all up as Brewer fans. And then we'll do a little Chuck's Corner on t- getting blocked on Twitter. So I'll tell that story because I've gotten blocked a couple times on Twitter. Uh, and just recently I had one, which it's been a while. So we'll talk about all that. I'm excited. Uh, it's a good show. We'll have a lot of fun. All right, let's get into it. Giannis Antetokounmpo had himself a night. He had a triple-double against the Indiana Pacers in three quarters. The Bucks blew out the Indiana Pacers and continued their dominance against Indiana. And you ask yourself, Charlie, why is that significant? It is, you know, we're really getting into the nitty-gritty about regular season basketball. And you know what they say, that regular season doesn't matter. Mitch and I, obviously, if you listen to Tapping the Keg this week, which I recommend, it was a good show, go back and listen to that as Mitch and I sort of said, like, hey, look, I understand that regular season in a vacuum doesn't matter. But right now, it's really important to see some potential out of the Milwaukee Bucks and to see that the Bucks can be one of the best teams in the NBA Eastern Conference. And the Bucks flexed their muscles the last two games. Now, Portland and Indiana both defensively have not been that great of late. Portland's one of the worst teams. Indiana's in the bottom half of the league in net rate or in defensive rating, not net rating, in defensive rating over the last 10 games. So I'm not surprised that Milwaukee laid down the hammer against these two teams. I think the way they did it, where it was over from jump, like it wasn't even close. Like it wasn't one of those games where the Bucs pulled away late and they blew them out in the second half. It was a dominating performance from start to finish in both of those games. And we talked about the quotes after Monday's game of the sense of urgency from everybody at Bucks camp. But another thing that is happening, and we hinted at this last week, is that Giannis Antetokounmpo is done shooting threes. Giannis Antetokounmpo doesn't want to shoot the three-pointer anymore. Now, this isn't because he is scared of the three-pointer. It's not because he wants to you know, be like Brooke Lopez and he's finally realized maybe that's not for him. But it's that Giannis Antetokounmpo has reviewed the tape, in my opinion, I don't know this, he hasn't said this, but this is my personal opinion, is Giannis has reviewed the tape of the last few weeks prior and people have been telling him like, look, you can be really successful in the post. And if you go into the post and you start dominating there, nobody can really hold you. And it's not like you have to be in the post such like a Hakeem Olajuwon or a David Robinson where you're just posting up looking for opportunities. You can still handle the ball. You can still get out on the top of the key. But what you should be doing is taking it into the lane. If you look at Giannis's shot chart over the last two games, he's only missed four shots. Everything is coming from inside. He has not shot three-pointers in back-to-back games. The last time that happened, Jason Kidd was still the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. 
So Giannis Antetokounmpo is taking some of the feedback you heard nationally about why isn't he developing post moves and doing it. And also on top of that, he is passing his ass off. Giannis Antetokounmpo has become such a good assist man. And if you're using Giannis in the interior for cutters and open three-pointers, the Bucks are going to be really hard to beat. And I think they showed that over the last two games is that bringing Giannis into more of an interior play is going to make things difficult on the opposition because there are going to be open shooters. We saw Dante DiVincenzo had a massive first half. We saw Bryn Forbes also have a really big first half. And all that is predicated off bringing Giannis into the post. So whether it is a combination of Giannis reviewing the tape and saying, I don't want to be a three-point shooter anymore. I want to be this post player. I want to be a souped up version of Carl Malone where I am passing my ass off in the in the post and that is who I am. Or it's, you know, Mike Budenholzer looking at it and saying, Giannis, we got to bring you down and we think that you can be really successful as a post player. It's it is incredible. It's been incredible to watch the last two games. I think the last two games have been a breath of fresh air. I know that it's weird because you're on both sides of the spectrum, right? Last two Sunday, Mitch and I taping the podcast, we're like, God, I don't know. And then it's like, well, if they win these next two, is everything all good again? I think it, it has to at least give you hope. Like, I know that it's the trials and tribulations of a regular season that you're going to have ups and downs. And Pat Connaughton kind of talked about, and I know Pat Connaughton isn't everybody's biggest fan, but Pat Connaughton talked about sort of the Bucks going through adversity and how they didn't do that the last couple of years, that they just sort of waltzed through the pl- through into the playoffs. And then when the playoff adversity hit, the Bucks didn't really know what to do. Kind of that, you got punched in the mouth and you didn't really know how to react. And now that they're getting punched in the mouth early, that they're getting everybody's best shot, it kind of is helping the Bucks sort of blend, you know, respond and blend together and come together and say, all right, we're going to not be this team and we're going to kind of flip this switch and it's going to ignite us. I joked on Twitter, like, if this is all it took for the Bucks to figure it out, like they should have got two bad losses out of their system early in the season and then it would have been would have been on the go. And the Bucks can still be the number one seed in the NBA Eastern Conference. It's not like anyone is running away with the Eastern Conference right now. I believe Philadelphia right now has the best record in the East. And I the Bucks are, I think, a game or two back of that. But this is the type of stuff where it makes you a believer again in the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's not like any of us were completely like out on the season, like, oh, this team is going to fail in the playoffs and Mike Budenholzer will finally get fired and all this other shit. That was not really the take after last week. But I think this gives you hope that this Bucks team can be damn good this season. And it's not just another season where the Bucks struggle in the playoffs because this, this shit matters. So right now the Bucks are two and a half back. In the Eastern Conference, they're a two-seed. Uh, Brooklyn, right behind the Bucks. they have one more loss than them. Similar winning percentage. They're also two and a half back of the Philadelphia 76ers. And the Bucks' record overall is fifth right now in the league uh, behind Philly, LA, and the Clippers and Jazz. Looking ahead for the Milwaukee Bucks, they have the Cleveland Cavaliers for two games on Friday and Saturday night. Those are games where you don't want to stub your toe. 
Now, I don't know how good the Bucks have been on the road this year. I think they're four and six on the road. And so they're nine and two at home. So they've been really good at home. And now you're entering a large trip where you're going to be out of town for nine days. You're going to be in a lot of hotels. And I think it's really important for Milwaukee to sort of make sure they're there mentally. I think they're going to have a game or two where it just doesn't go right. And I think those long road trips are really tough because you're out of your rhythm. You're out of your t- your what you usually do. And I, I contended that that was part of it. But I think now we have to see if the Bucks can't come out flat against Cleveland on Friday night or Saturday night because coming out flat was an issue on the road. Now, is it was it a road issue or just two games? That'll be remain to be seen because that really was what got the ball rolling. And then once that ball got rolling, the Bucks really didn't do that well. Now, Cleveland is struggling in their own right. They've lost five of seven games um, after beating Brooklyn back in back-to-back games. But they definitely get up for these opponents. They lost, now they did lose to the Clippers by, double, by, I think, 20 last night. So it's not like they've been you know really good against the elite in the NBA. It will be a good test for Giannis, though. I mean, this will test the whole post- theory and everything like that that's why you watch you why you watch this game not just because you're a Bucks fan you watch because can Giannis do some of the things he's done in the post against Andre Drummond and Jared Allen now Jared Allen is a good uh foe for Giannis I think Giannis has had some good success against him but he's a good foe against Giannis Drummond's too slow Drummond can't keep up with Giannis if Giannis will take him into the paint but what Giannis will do in the paint is not necessarily a drop step or a hook shot rather you know bring Drummond out and then drive and beat him into the basket with a layup because that's what Giannis can do against a guy like Andre Drummond who has had a good season but Drummond is not necessarily a guy you won't going up against Giannis he's kind of the inverse of Miles Turner like Miles Turner who by the way like everybody was like defensive player of the year sucking his dick on how good he's been this season Giannis put him in a casket like he is he cannot guard Giannis there's nothing he can do and part of the reason is because Miles Turner is small Miles Turner just is not bulky enough to compete with Giannis and he's shorter than Giannis and that's a real problem on top of that just to kind of go go off that you know Drummond is the opposite Drummond's too big like Drummond's he's I think as tall as Giannis but he's just is he weighs too much to really compete with Giannis Antetokounmpo off the dribble Giannis will beat him every time so that's a good matchup for Giannis and speaking of good matchups while we're here and we'll we'll move to Colton Wong in a second the matchup of Indiana is great for Milwaukee Indiana is a team that Milwaukee should won in the postseason. I know some people get worried about Indiana. I think Indiana gets a lot of hype sometimes from media members because they're likable. Uh, a lot of people like DeMontis Sabonis. A lot of people like Turner. Malcolm Brogdon, of course. Like Malcolm Brogdon is like number one good guy. If we did like good guy, bad guy, and Cal guy in the NBA, shout out to Titus and Tay, like Malcolm Brogdon would win the good guy award all the time. Like everybody fucking loves Malcolm Brogdon. He has such a good PR unit. But now you look at it and you say, all right, you have Drew Holiday who can shut down Brogdon. I think he had 12 points. Yeah, Sabonis is a little bit of an issue. You don't really have a guy 
that can guard Sabonis. Lopez is not a good matchup. Giannis is it's all right. I mean, he didn't really he did more on Turner than he did on Sabonis. And so Indiana's a type of team you do want in the playoffs. Like I don't think you're scared of Indiana if you do see them in a playoff series. I think ideally you'd want a team like Indiana. Um, but it seems like Indiana, again, for I don't know how many years, is a rung below the NBA elite. Like right now in the East, I look at it and say it's Philly, it's Milwaukee, and it's Brooklyn. And then I probably in that second tier put Boston and Indiana. I'm not there at Boston. I mean, they lost to Sacramento last night. They've they've been just okay. Um, they just haven't really, to me, hit that second tier. And and then I don't know what you do with Atlanta, Cleveland, and, and Charlotte, who are all right now in the playoffs and under 500. But again, it's it's early. I don't know if we need to be breaking down the playoffs. But that's I mean that's kind of an easy tier right now. I think the fight between the three the three Brooklyn Nets, Bucks, and Sixers is going to be a fun one for the remainder of the season. All right, let's talk Colton Wong. Colton Wong becomes the Milwaukee Brewer. So it's kind of ironic. I don't want to say, yeah, or typical. Um, maybe not ironic is the wrong word, but it's typical of doing daily podcasts and reacting in the moment. You know, David Stearns got a lot of shrapnel from me and Mitch. And I've been someone who's been on Stearns' side, kind of defended Stearns. I wouldn't say I was a true ride or die. But I, I finally had had enough, and I had said, "Look, you got to start making some moves. This is this team is not good enough to compete for a division. It's a slap in the face if you bring back the exact same roster that you did last season." Now, Mike Petrello of MLB.com wrote a really good piece about why the NL Central is still a four-team race, and that they're, you know, the Cubs have a chance to contend, the Brewers have a chance with their pitching staff to contend, the Cardinals obviously with Arenado. The projections are every team was under 500, which I'm telling you right now, it won't happen that way because that's baseball. But it to me, it's like I think 85 wins could win the NL Central this year. I don't think it's going to take a lot for the NL Central to be won. And so that led to a lot of consternation. And a part of me was like, well, what are we doing here? And I understood that the Brewers had no money. But I, I knew you could make a few slight moves to contend and then really vault yourself ahead of things. And they did that with Colton Wong. So they add Colton Wong, two years, $18 million. There is a club option for a third. They take Wong from the St. Louis Cardinals. And it is just a great move. And I said, I, look, David Stearns can dunk on me and then I will feel great. And I will feel great about this season. And I am like ready to go. And I think we're kind of there right now. I think there is a really good vibe right now with what the Brewers have on this roster. I I like this roster a little bit more than I did Oh, you know, a day ago. And I was, you know, saying, oh, it's a slap in the face. And what are we going to have with this team? And now I look at the roster and I say, all right, this is something here. This is now a little bit better than what you had because Wong helps you on both. Cole Wong helps you on both offense and defense. And I think that addition alone defensively is a huge upgrade for Milwaukee. Uh, someone pointed out that Colton Wong has the second most runs saved um, at his position or since Andrews and Simmons is the only one 
who's been better in terms of saving runs as a defender. And the combined uh, run saved for the Brewer second baseman during Wong's career is a minus 25. So that is a huge upgrade for Milwaukee to have a second baseman like Wong defensively. And with a pitching staff that the Brewers have where you look at the projections for that staff and it looks really good, both from a starting perspective as well as a relief perspective, you have to have a better defense than they did last year. And their defense was struggled and their defense wasn't necessarily ready for all the ground balls and they had a lot of flubs and part of that was due to Keston Hero who we'll talk about here in a second but adding Colton Wong adding Lorenzo Kane in the outfield all of a sudden this Milwaukee team looks like the defense of 2018 and one of the things that didn't get talked about a lot in 2018 why the Brewers were such a good team is because they were so good defensively and because they were so good defensively not a lot of extra runs sort of leaked in and that you had to earn your runs against the Milwaukee Brewers. And I think that's sort of the same this season. Now, I'm not ready to say the Brewers are going to go to the NLCS. They're not on the level of the Padres and Dodgers or maybe even the Braves. But the Milwaukee Brewers can contend with this roster. And that was the whole point of why I was mad at David Stearns. And I get you should have patience, sure. But it didn't look like the Brewers were doing anything. They were just quiet. They were so not involved with any conversations in the baseball world. So that's why all of us were looking at this like, what the hell are they doing? So Cole Wong is one of maybe two additions they should make. So they're, I don't think they're done. Um, maybe they are. We'll see. Um, I'm sure Stearns will meet with the media, talk about this, and say, yeah, we are still looking at guys, still evaluating. But right now, you add some real defense with Wong. And then offensively, Colton Wong is a great hitter. He's not going to necessarily hit for power. I think he's projected to have 11 home runs. But he's going to get on base, and he's not going to strike out, and he's going to make contact, and he's going to put the ball in the in the field. And that is something that has lacked from the Brewers. And you saw too many strikeouts. And that was, again, another point of contention for fans where they didn't play that well on defense last year and they struck out too much. And now you have a guy who can set the table in your top of your lineup. And whether Wong hits uh, you know, first or second, that's remained to be seen. I think that's an, a question for Craig Council. But I, I really think you can have a very strong offense now with Colton Wong leading the charge. And if you get the years you expect from Christian Yelich and maybe a bounce back from Kasten Hira and Lorenzo Cain sort of because he's managing his his games, he's not going to be as beat up as he was in years past. Remember, that was a big story heading into 2020 was Lorenzo Cain didn't want to play as many games because he realized that he's just not a spring chicken anymore and that he needed you know more time off. And now we ended up, he got a lot of time off because he opted out of the season. I think if you were to ask Lorenzo Cain, you were to have a beer with him and he, there were no media around, he'd tell you that that was a mistake and that he overreacted. But I can't blame Lorenzo Cain for that. I can't blame Lorenzo Cain for you know wanting to be safe because COVID, there was still so much that was unknown and the Brewers were part of that 
that sort of outbreak um, early on. I don't think they ended up having any COVID issues. It was the Cardinals and the canceling of the series, and Lorenzo Cain just said, I'm out. I don't want to deal with this shit anymore, and he just wanted to play baseball, and I'm not going to shame Lorenzo Cain for that. So you look at the Brewers' offense, and the Brewers' offense right now is Colton Wong leading off, Lorenzo Cain hitting second, Christian Yelich hitting third, Keston Hira hitting in the in the cleanup position. Avisel Garcia at number five. Orlando Arcia six. Omar Navarez at seven. And Luis Urias at eight. Now, I think Narvaez could potentially be a six hitter, but Navarez was so bad last year. And I... Look, Narvaez drove me fucking crazy. I I was surprised that he came back. I didn't think he helped the pitching staff. He struggled so much as a hitter. Um, I'm definitely willing to throw out 2020, but I will say my leash is very short with Narvaez this season, more than I think anyone else on that Brewers team. So that's the that's the lineup, and that's not a bad lineup. And now you want to maybe add a third baseman. I think that would matter. I also think you want to maybe look into a first baseman. And that's the decision, I think, right now for David Stearns. What does David Stearns want to do? Does he really want to go with a first base rotation of Keston Hura and Dan Vogelbach? I don't know. I think you want another first baseman. Like, I think you want a true first baseman. That is really bad defense at the first base position. If you add a guy like Mitch Moreland, now I Mitch Moreland really wouldn't help because he's another lefty. But if you added Mitch Moreland to this team, holy shit. Like, and he's available. Mitch Moreland, I think, also won a gold glove recently. That defense immediately, I mean, then you really are good defensively. Then your infield defense is fucking stellar. And you can deal with Luis Urias at third base. Now, I know he's not the tight, prototypical third baseman. Now, Mikel Franco, not good defensively, but has a big bat and could definitely add to that offense. That would be a guy maybe you look at at third base. I don't know. That would be a question, I guess, for Brewer fans, tappers, is like, would you prefer adding more defense at either either first or third and maybe not as much offense? Or Mitch Moreland, though, is a good offensive player. He's just not going to be what Franco could. I mean, Franco could hit 30 home runs at Miller Park. Like, that's not out of the question. Or would you rather have Mikel Franco and have that maybe as your six hitter, and then you you sort of have a little bit of power at the back end of your your lineup? I don't know. That's that's a discussion I think for for us blog boys um, down the line. But I I don't imagine the Brewers will sit on their hands. Now if they do, am I going to be frustrated? <sighs> yeah. I think I am. Like, I, I think I I still think they're one guy away. Like, I hate to sound greedy. Like, I feel like that's such a greedy approach. But they do feel like they are one player away offensively from being set. Like, they are missing one more player. Now, if Ryan Braun decides to come back, we still have not heard yet if Ryan Braun's going to play this season. Um, there really isn't. He's kind of in that Brett Favre mode. Is he going to play? Is he not? I assume we'll hear about that soon. And maybe that's what the Brewers are waiting on. The Brewers were like, all right, we can sign Colton Wong. Now our last move, we're going to have to find what Ryan Braun wants to do. If Ryan Braun wants to come back, great. If not, 
Well, okay. And then the bar crawl is on, by the way. Um, we'll start working towards the Snowtap WI Ryan Braun Memorial bar crawl. It will happen. Trust me. Uh, we'll do a Facebook event and everything. I don't even know if people do Facebook events every day. Uh, people do Facebook events. That that does happen. Um, but anyways, uh, so with Ryan Braun, I think it might matter about the DH. I think he's waiting for an answer on the DH. And if he gets the answer that he wants on the DH, maybe Ryan Braun comes back. Or Ryan Braun says, you know what? I'm, I'm done and I'm going to retire. And it would be a bummer if Ryan Braun retired. I, I, I want Ryan Braun to go out with fans. Like I want there to be fans in the stands to appreciate Ryan Braun. And for him to get booed one more time in Wrigley because that was always good. Because whenever Ryan Braun got booed in Wrigley or PNC Park, Pirates fans booed him a lot. He would just fucking go off and be awesome. Like Ryan hitting one more big dinger in in Wrigley and hitting one more big dinger in uh, Great American Ballpark is something I'd like out of Ryan Braun. And maybe Ryan Braun looks at a Colton Wong signing and says, "All right, you guys did that. Did one or two things that I think you can contend for a title, and I'll come back and I'll maybe not play as much, but I'll rotate in." And I'll get into the lineup when you're facing lefties and, and be all in on it. So we'll see. We'll see if Ryan Braun happens. I don't know. Um, Keston here at first base going to be an experience. Um, that, that's uh, all I'll say at this point. All right, let's move on to Chuck's Corner. So if you haven't been keeping up with the blog or the podcast, not really the blog, uh, Chuck's Corner used to be a blog of mine. It was before Snowtap WI. Um, it's somewhere on Blogspot. You can probably find it. I probably should go through that and delete probably half of it. But anyways, I uh, can't get canceled, you know. Uh, Chuck's Corner is more of where I talk about personal stories, things that have happened in my life. Um, and I started doing this, I think, a couple weeks ago. So if you haven't been listening, here's what Chuck's Corner, that's what Chuck's Corner is about. So we're going to talk about getting blocked on Twitter. And the reason we're going to talk about getting blocked on Twitter is because I got blocked on Twitter by the first person I actually kind of liked on Twitter. And that that was kind of tough. Like, I'm not going to lie. Kind of bummed me out. Like, Rob Doster is a writer, uh, podcaster. He's created the Field of 68. It was like his own college basketball venue. He got a buy-in with uh, Jeff Goodman of Stadium. And so Go- Doster and Goodman have been doing this together now for I, the whole season. Um, and, it, and I haven't really watched it. Um, I'll be honest. Like I, but I've interacted with Rob here and there. Now Rob has been very sensitive about COVID. I would probably call him a doom and gloomer. And Rob came out when Keontae Johnson of Florida collapsed against Florida State. He immediately pointed to COVID without any sort of, uh, you know, any sort of waiting. He just immediately rushed to judgment and said that this was a COVID issue. And that this was because he had COVID in the past and immediately jumped to that conclusion. Um, and I pushed back on that pretty hard. And I said, that's reckless, man. Like, I, I think I said something like, I can't remember because I, I can't see quote tweets. When you're blocked by somebody, you can't see the quote tweets. And usually it's the quote tweets that get you blocked. I said, you know, that's it's pretty reckless of you to say, like, that's like, what are you doing here? Like, why are, why are you immediately assuming it's COVID without knowing any of it, without having any sort of medical diagnosis that it's microchondridosis or whatever the hell it is? I butchered that. But, but how do you know that? So when it came out that, you know, the news that basically Florida, between all the doctors and everything like that, and Florida has one of the better medical programs in America, 
found out that he doesn't have anything to worry about, that it was another medical condition. They're hoping to get him back on the basketball court. Had nothing to do with COVID. It wasn't a long-term effect COVID issue. All, basically, COVID did not play a factor in this. So I saw it from Brian Hamilton, another writer on The Athletic, and I went to go find Rob Doster just to see like, hey, did he apologize? Did he own his shit? He'd be like, all right, hey, look, I'm sorry. And I go to look for Rob and I'm blocked by Rob Doster. So I I almost chirped him about something on Twitter like last week, I think. And I I didn't actually say it. I don't think I did. And I've, I, cause I kind of was like, you know what? It's not worth it. And I do that a lot where I'll write something out and I'll just be like, yeah, not, not worth my time. And I've interacted with Rob a bunch. Like you can go look Rob Doster, SnowTap WI, if you pump that into Twitter search, not that you care that much. Like I've interacted with him throughout my Twitter experience. I have no problem with him. I think that he has some unique opinions. And I, I guess it just bummed me out. And I've been blocked by other people, and it hasn't really like affected me. And, I, and I'll be honest, like I don't care at that much. It's just like, it's kind of like, what the fuck, dude? Like, just because I criticize your COVID take, you're going to block me so I can't come back and and give you... And I'm not even going to give him shit. I would have just expect an apology. And I would have been like, all right. And so now you're blocking me, which he did the... And it's kind of funny that that's the case because Virginia fans were giving Rob a hard time after uh, Syracuse. He liked, I think it was a betting thing, and he liked Syracuse against Virginia and then everyone was calling him an idiot. And then Virginia ends up losing to Virginia Tech. And he was giving Virginia Tech fans all sorts of shit. Or I'm sorry, Virginia fans all sorts of shit. So like, why can you do it? But then when this stuff happens, you're immediately running. And you're saying, I'm going to block everybody because I don't want to hear this. That's such a fucking pussy behavior. Like, don't be a pussy, Rob. Like, stand up and be a fucking man and take what's happening. Like, don't fucking do that. Like, I don't care that you have an opinion of COVID that's different than mine. You are wrong. Admit you're wrong. And don't fucking hide behind your Twitter account. So blocking people in that manner is so fucking soft. If I earn my block, I'm, I'll deal with it. Like, I got blocked by Tim Kanawami of the athletic San Francisco, but I think because he speculated about Giannis and I just basically called him an idiot and Tim blocked me. And I was like, all right, I earned that, whatever. Adrian Peterson, I made fun of, you know, I talked something about Adrian Peterson beating up his kid. Again, I earned that. I actually deleted that tweet because I was like, you know what? That's a little intense. That's a little bit too much for me, but I earned that block. I got blocked by the Vikings SB Nation blog. I wear that with fucking honor. Um, I think there was an, a reporter or a, someone who blocked me as well who was mad about something out in the West Coast. I forget what it was, but he blocked me. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've been blocked by a few people. I'm Marcus Cromarty, a former Badger, I also blocked by. I think I was critical of him years ago. I'm sure there are other guys I'm blocked by, and I just don't care. Um, like if Adrian Hauser decided to block me because I, I said some incendiary things about him and his fiance, okay. I earned that. Oh, Jimmy Nelson also blocked me. Um, Jimmy Nelson, though, softer than baby shit. Um, anyone who you talk to in like the Brewer media circles will tell you that Jimmy Nelson is fucking soft. That's another guy who blocked. That's probably the only local athlete that I think has blocked me. 
on Twitter. Um, but who knows? There might be more. I don't go actively searching for like who blocks me on Twitter. Um, it doesn't really matter. It's just more funny than anything else. But yeah, I, if you're gonna like have an opinion and you're gonna hang out on social and you're gonna talk a big game about COVID, you better fucking step up. Like, I wasn't gonna go out to Rob and be like, "Hey, just want to want your comment." I just wanted to see what he said. And if he was gonna still sort of use COVID as a defense, I would have been like, "Well, okay, that's that's a little bit too much." But anyways. That, that happened. So, yeah. Blocked on Twitter by Rob Doster. I don't want to be unblocked. Don't work for me to be unblocked. But if you see Rob around these tweet, Twitter streets, you can tell him Charlie thinks he's a pussy. And let him know that. Um, because he, he definitely is. So, don't run from your shit, Rob. Own it. And we'll always keep owning it. We won't block you if you guys disagree with us. We won't limit your exposure to us. So, I, that's a promise. I make that to you. All right, that does it for our show. We'll be back tomorrow. Big ass Super Bowl podcast. We'll talk about props. We'll talk about the line. We'll talk about any all that shit. We'll we'll get into uh, the Super Bowl tomorrow. Go through all the betting angles on that one, and then whatever else happens locally, that will be the show for Friday. So excited for that one, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, take care, tappers. Have a good one. Bye.